Welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Real-world insights for your daily medical coding and billing processes. And now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CodeCast Podcast today. My name is Terry Fletcher. I hope everyone had a good 4th of July weekend last week and that you're all ready to go and well into July to get some of the updates that we've been seeing. So today I wanted to comment on something. I'm actually revisiting something from 2020, but it's still in the 2023 ICD-10 guidelines. I got a question from a Coding Corner client, so thank you, Sonia, that talked about physicians who aren't being clear in their documentation on what side of the body they're treating the patient on. So to me, that's it's really laziness, and we have to talk to our providers to be more clear. Otherwise, it could come back to bite them in the butt later on from a payer who says, if you don't care enough to be specific when it's clear in your note when you code, then we may not care enough to pay you, and we don't want to go down that road. So even though I'm going to give you some guidelines on what um, coders are allowed to do, I still recommend that when your physicians are non-compliant, it is important to educate them that they need to be compliant and not allow them to continue the behavior. It's just so important to realize that now everything's under scrutiny, okay? It is the the era of the audit. I think my audits have increased 400% since I started auditing in, in 2005. And so payer audits and Medicare audits and you know even private audits that I do is just crazy to me what I'm seeing. And a lot of it is because the, the providers, and I don't just mean MDs and DOs, also mid-level providers and any clinician that's in the note, tend to get a little bit lazy on things when you have the information narratively from the patient or other sources, but from a coding perspective, it's not transferred over. So here's the question I got. It said that the physician has been uh, treating patients orthopedic practice and they'll put in the complaint that the patient had left knee pain and um, they continue with the information as far as left knee, left knee, left knee, but then when they went to uh, coded out, the doctor put in knee pain unspecified. Oh, I'm face planning right now. So here's here's the problem with that. The Some ICD codes, ICD-10 codes, CM, um, indicate laterality. So we were lucky that we got that because some of the CPT codes are um, something that we would use, like, in, you know, injections, surgery, certain things, and we would get duplicate claim. But because we have that identifying laterality, so specifying whether the condition occurs on the right, the left, or bilaterally, that helped us not get those denials because now it can be specified through ICD-10-CM. So if no bilateral code is provided and the condition is bilateral, you can assign separate codes for both the left and the right. If the side is not identified in the medical record, then the physician is going to obviously pick unspecified. But when laterality is not documented by the patient's provider, code assignment for the affected side could be based, well it says may be based on medical record documentation from other clinicians. If there is a con- conflicting medical record documentation regarding the affected side, the patient's attending provider should be queried, so if it's only if it's conflicting, but codes for unspecified should rarely be used, okay, such as when documentation in the record isn't sufficient to determine the affected side and it's not possible to obtain clarification. But the thing is here is that other clinicians can do that. We're coders. Are we considered somebody that can do that? 
No, not unless you have a clinical certification. So can you go and and talk to your medical assistants, your mid-level providers and say, hey, I'm seeing left knee here and the doctor coded this as unspecified and can they tell you it's fine and then you you know write a note in the chart or write somewhere uh, in your notes that you got it from a clinician? Yes. So that's one thing that's really helpful uh, in the guidelines is that we're able to now pull from things that are actually documented when the physician isn't exactly specific, but that just applies to laterality. What I mean by that is let's say that the same scenario existed for this patient and then one of the coders or someone wanted to code it as left knee osteoarthritis. You cannot assume a specific diagnosis like that from a sign, symptom, or complaint. That would have to come specifically um, from the physician. So make sure you know with laterality, if it's in the chart, you can pull from it. If it is, as long as it's in there, even if the doctor did identify it as unspecified, but you definitely need to make sure that when you're doing that, that you are coming back to the physician and saying, hey, let's not do that, okay? Because, and this is on page 15 of 118 of the ICD-10 official guidelines for coding and reporting, and this is for calendar year 2023. Also look, and it's number 13 for laterality. Also look at number 14. It says documentation by clinicians other than the patient's provider. It said code assignment is based on the documentation by the patient's provider. Again, who is legally accountable for establishing the patient's diagnosis? Physician or other QHP, somebody that it can bill directly to a payer. So it says there are a few exceptions when this code assignment may be based on medical record documentation from clinicians who are not the patient's provider. So in context, clinicians other than the patient's provider refer to healthcare professionals permitted based on regulatory or accreditation requirements or internal hospital policies to document in the patient's official medical record. So here are the exceptions. If you find body mass index, depth of non-pressure chronic ulcers, pressure um, ulcer stage, coma scale, NIH stroke scale, social determinants of health, that's really helpful, laterality, blood alcohol level, and the newest one for this year was under immunized status. So this information may or may not be typically documented by other clinicians involved in the care of the patient. Sometimes the dietitian often documents the BMI or the, the nurse often documents the pressure ulcer stages. You might even have an emergency technical a medical technician. They document the coma scale. Um, but other associated diagnoses such as obesity or overweight or acute stroke or anything like that, that has to be documented by the patient's provider. That's a legal thing, and that's, again, in number 15, or I'm sorry, number 14 of the official guidelines. So they're pretty specific like that, and they, they always end it with if there's conflicting medical record documentation, either from the same clinician or different clinicians, the patient's attending provider should be queried for clarification, which makes me think of something here. You might want to also notate that if it is a clinician that's not the physician responsible for diagnosing the patient that's pulling this information out, there probably should be a note in the chart that they were involved with the patient. So just because that's what they're talking about 
other clinicians involved in the care of the patient. It's important that their stamp is also on the medical record to be able to secure that that's okay to do that. So just some things there that I think are really important and knowing where your boundaries are, especially as a coder versus a clinician. So can coders pull that out? If a clinician, other than the physician, is treating the patient, confirms it, and it's in the, and they're part of that uh, patient's record, then yes, you can do that. The CodeCast podcast is brought to you today by Gold Bond Ultimate Skin Therapy Lotion, Healing, Seven Intensive Moisturizers, and Three Vitamins, Gold Bond Ultimate Skin Therapy Lotion. Okay, what else do I want to talk to you about? Well, Becker's Health, I don't know if you know what that is, but it's a publication that puts out a lot of good information. Um, they look at, you know, trending things that are happening in the country as far as uh, healthcare. And something came out on the payer issues. So yeah, if you ever want to go look at it, just go to beckerspayer.com or go to beckershealth.com and you can sign up for some of these newsletters. But uh, the, this administration announced a series of actions. Then it was because of the new update for surprise medical billing, unfair medical debt, and there's something called junk short-term insurance plans. So here's just a, a couple of things I'd like you to be aware of. So there are um, there are facilities out there that are um, basically called um, contract um, facilities. It's hard to explain what it is, but there's an abuse of that because they're saying that, oh, we're um, in network when these health plans contract with these hospitals, but try to claim that they're not technically in network. So the administration said they're making it clear that this is not allowed under federal law. You're either um, out of network and you're subject to surprise billing protections or you're in network and subject to the ACA's annual limitation on cost sharing. So you, you can't d basically decide what your designation is um, based on how much the bill is and that's something that they were doing. So uh, the facility fees, you're gonna have to look at the No Surprise Act because there's some definite issues there with that. Uh, Short-term insurance, so I don't know if you knew that this actually existed. They, I know this president called them junk um, insurances. I know the, the previous um, administration allowed some things. So what these are, they're short-term insurance plans. They don't have to cover pre-existing conditions. They're allowed to bypass the Affordable Care Act requirement to cover certain services like maternity care and mental health treatment. Basically, they're terrible. Um, under the Obama administration, they had a three-month limit on short-term plans. Trump administration changed the rules to allow people to stay them on them for a year and then renew coverage up to three years. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Um, then under the new proposed rules, which I'm assuming is going to pass because actually these rules are, are probably pretty good, short-term plans would be limited again to the three months or a maximum of four months if extended. I think they're just plans until people can make the transition from one insurance to another or if somebody's trying to figure out if they just want to use a savings account for medical. Um, but the plans have to make it clear for people signing up for these plans that they have a defined benefit, like $100 per day for illness, um, because sometimes patients think they have comprehensive insurance. I mean, look at our patients that have Medicaid, and they think that they can have carte blanche anything. So be careful when a patient comes in. Oh, another question you have to ask when they hand you an insurance card, is this short-term insurance, or is this employer-sponsored insurance, or this is, is this long-term insurance? So um, I think some practices are thinking what a patient has and what they really have is, is not happening. That's not good. The last thing we're going to mention today, again, part of the No Surprise Act situation, something came up um, as far as 
a report from the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Again, something patients do not understand. When patients have uh, or want a large ticket item for uh, an elective surgery, I know sometimes uh, cataract surgery or laser surgery, something that may not have good coverage on their insurance, they end up putting it on a medical credit card. One that's very popular is Care Credit. And I know that they grew from 4.4 million cardholders 10 years ago, and now they've got 11.7 cardholders. But here's the thing with that. Once you transfer the expense of medical bills and they're put on medical credit cards, there's now gaps in how consumer protection supply like No Surprise Act. So once the patient gets on that credit card, there are things that they are not allowed to say, well, you can only charge me this or it can only be this because now it's under the credit card agreement. So make sure patients are aware of that because, and the Treasury Department said, hey, we need some clarification here because we're finding that a lot of patients are using these medical credit cards and we need to know is our providers operating outside the existing consumer protections um, or are there, or are they still apply for the um, No Surprise Act, even if they're on that credit card? And right now they do not. So this is uh, really important to understand this information. All right, everyone. So this week was just a little bit more giving you an update, focusing on uh, an important ICD-10 rule that you may not be aware of, and then also just updating you on the No Surprise Act. So everyone, I hope you again have a great week. Make it a great day. And thank you for listening to the CodeCast podcast. For more information on medical coding, billing, auditing, and compliance, including how to hire Terry, follow Terry on Twitter at TerryCoder1 or visit her website at www.terryfletcher.net. Podcast producer Joe Kuzma, music producer Assassin Music. <laughs>